Happy Monday morning, everyone. Hope everyone enjoyed their weekend and got to relax and watch some football. This is the Fumbling Punter Podcast, and I'm your host, Devin Keeney. You can find me on Twitter at DevK11. Well, we now have our Super Bowl 51 matchup. The New England Patriots and Atlanta Falcons will face off in two weeks in Houston. The Atlanta Falcons beat the Green Bay Packers 44-21 to advance out of the NFC, and the New England Patriots beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 36-17 in Foxborough to set up that matchup. The Patriots game was the late game. I honestly missed the first portion of the game because my CBS Sports app said the game started at 6.10, and I turned on the TV at 6 o'clock to try to catch some of the pregame and there were there was 12 minutes left in the first quarter. So I missed a little bit of that game, but got to watch the majority of it and the good part of the Atlanta and Green Bay game. Getting into the Patriots game, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick going to their seventh Super Bowl and going for their fifth title. That is absolutely unprecedented. Tom Brady is 39 years old. Had set the... New England Patriots career playoff passing record, which he already owned, by throwing for 384 yards and four touchdowns at 39 years old. When this guy says he wants to play in five, six more years, how can you not believe him? He's not out there running around. He is like a surgeon. He methodically goes after you. He, he looked really good again in the Patriots win on Sunday. But that shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. That's what Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have done for the most part of their tenure together. They take mediocrity and make the most out of it. Chris Hogan had nine catches for 180 yards and two touchdowns. Julian Edelman had five catches, 118 yards, one touchdown. Outside of maybe the other three quarterbacks playing in that game and Andrew Luck, those two wide receivers are not having Pro Bowl-type years and not having... 300 combined receiving yards and three touchdowns in a conference championship game. Le'Veon Bell did go down for Pittsburgh. D'Angelo Williams looked good, but once again, he's no Le'Veon Bell. They were going to try to win that game by running the ball and controlling the clock. The Steelers were able to get some pressure on Tom Brady, which is generally the recipe for success, but their offense without Le'Veon Bell was not able to get them where they needed to be. I want to talk a little bit about LeGarrett Blunt and what type of year that he had. 18 touchdowns, 1,100 rushing yards. This guy, start, We most all of us know him from him when he played at Oregon. He punched the Boise State player in the face, got kicked out of the game. I believe he may have been kicked off the team at that time before he went into the NFL. Came out with Tampa Bay, had a good start to his career, but ended up not re-signing there. Went to New England, played a year in New England, went to Pittsburgh for a partial year that you'll remember, and then ended up going back to New England. It's what I was saying earlier. Brady and Belichick get the best out of all the guys on their teams. And that's something you have to respect whether you're a Patriots fan or you're a Patriots hater, as I know some of my listeners out there are. The Packers-Falcons game, Atlanta controlled this ball game from the opening kick. It was the last game in the beautiful Georgia Dome, 
before they opened their new Mercedes-Benz Stadium next year, and the fans were pretty fired up for that game, and so was the team. The Falcons marched right down the field on the opening drive of the game. Then the Packers looked like it was going to be the high-scoring game we all predicted with their first drive, and then Crosby missed the kick wide right, and then Ryan drove them down again. The Green Bay defense held up, held them to a field goal, making it 10 nothing Atlanta. Then the Ripkowski fumble, Atlanta scored again, 17 nothing, and ended up being 24 nothing at the half. And at that point, you felt like all of Aaron Rodgers' luck had ran out for the season, that no matter what they did, that Atlanta was just too strong on Sunday, which ended up being the case. Matt Ryan hit Julio Jones for a 73-yard touchdown on their first possession of the second half, pretty much putting the nails in the coffin, but... If any of you guys listened to our show on Friday, Ekman gave you his picks of Atlanta minus five, I believe the number was. Atlanta minus five and the over in this game and both of those hit. So hopefully you guys are listening to Ekman and making money. Matt Ryan finished the game throwing for 392 yards, four touchdowns. Julio Jones had the exact same numbers as Chris Hogan, nine catches, 180 yards, two touchdowns. And most of us were just watching the second half of that game to see if the over was going to hit, which it did. Now, Atlanta, I knew they had a pretty good season. I'd watched a couple of their games this year, but I never really got that feeling that even though Matt Ryan was the MVP, that they could win a Super Bowl. And you really got that feeling Sunday. I know Green Bay was banged up. Nelson was banged up. Darren Ravel reported that he was wearing a Kevlar vest over his ribs. But even with... All the injuries, the bad secondary finally caught up to him, and Atlanta really looked like a team that's going to be capable of beating New England. So that should be a good Super Bowl matchup for the country to see. In Major League Baseball news over the weekend, tragedy struck the Kansas City Royals family as 25-year-old starting pitcher Yordano Ventura passed away in a car crash in his homeland of the Dominican Republic. Ventura had top-of-the-staff stuff, he averaged a little over 96 miles an hour on his fastballs through the 2016 season. And you'll all remember, as I always will, him wearing the RIP OT18 on his hat when he pitched Game 6 of the 2014 World Series. Oscar Tavares, former Cardinals outfielder, who also passed away in a car crash in the Dominican Republic, had just passed away the night before he pitched, and he went out and really pitched a dominant game for the Royals that night as they won 10 nothing to force a Game 7 with the San Francisco Giants. He Ventura was a fiery guy. I loved to watch him pitch. You never know, knew if he was going to throw at somebody, if he was going to try to fight somebody, but he was always fun to watch. You could tell he really loved the game of baseball. And uh, Like I said, for a lot of Cardinals fans, too, we'll always have in our hearts that R.I.P. O.T. 18 on his hat that he had for that game when he went out and really pitched with his emotions on his sleeve that night. So he will be missed by the Kansas City Royals teammates, families, and baseball fans everywhere in that tragic loss. Moving on to a little bit of local sports, going to talk some Missouri State hockey. They swept MU over the weekend 10-4 and 6-3. Both games were a sellout, and it's a... Been quite the nice rivalry here in Springfield for the Bears and the Tigers to match up on the ice. 
it's always a real hot ticket. Standing room only is completely sold out at Mediacom Ice Park. Makes you wish that the Missouri State Bears and donors could turn Hammond Student Center into a ice hockey capable arena. There's capacity for 8,800 people in there, and that could even bring a AHL team or a ECHL East Coast Hockey League. Those are both minor league hockey leagues, and uh, it would be nice to get a team here, get to uh, get the commu- community a little more involved in hockey. But for right now, we'll just enjoy watching the Bears whoop Mizzou every year. Which, uh, the rivalry and the attendance for these games really highlights my points that I had made in an article a week or two ago about how Missouri State and Mizzou need to start meeting on the hardwood because Mizzou has nothing to lose right now from a perspective of they can, they've lost to terrible teams these last three years. And Missouri State is really on the rise, so I think that you would have to favor Missouri State in those games. But it would be a good turnout, especially here in Springfield, if those two teams ever met on the hardwood. And I think, uh, speaking of MSU hoops, they beat Bradley 76-62 to improve their record to 14-7 and 5-3 and in Valley play. They are now in sole possession of third place behind Illinois State and... Wichita State. Sorry, I had to read that, read my own handwriting there. Uh, in the game on Saturday, the Bears were led by Daquan Miller's 24 points and Elze Johnson's double double, 13 points, 13 rebounds. The Bears will host Drake on Tuesday night at JQH Arena. If you're from the region, hope you can uh, make that game. Go cheer on the Bears. They've been fun to watch. It's a good Bears team. Uh, Miller is a good point guard, and Johnson is a dynamic player. Obadiah Church is a highlight waiting to happen. We went to the Missouri State-Southern Illinois game here a couple of weeks ago, and gosh, he was fun to watch. He uh, had two pretty spectacular dunks in traffic. I would say, looking at the Bears' record right now, that they would probably have to win all but one or two of their remaining regular season games to make the NCAA tournament on an at-large bid. Of course, they can win Arch Madness, the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament, and get into the NCAA. But as it stands right now, they are in a pretty good spot to at least make the NIT, and that would be a good sign for the Bears going forward. They still do have to play Illinois State, who's undefeated in Missouri Valley play right now, and Wichita State twice. Uh, Wichita State's good year in, year out. I've been to uh, one of those games in the past, and it's a lot of fun. Get a lot of people in JQH Arena. And undefeated Illinois State, they only lost to three on the road, so that should be a a good home game for the Bears. Hopefully get a lot of people out, get JQH rocking. Uh, The uh, Wichita State regular season finale on February 25th is supposed to be on either ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, or CBS Sports. So that could be a great game that gets to be nationally televised, and that would be really good for MSU, the city of Springfield, and everybody associated with that team. So looking back at show notes here, it looks like David Ekman went 4-1 and one this week. He had the Falcons minus 5, the over of 60.5, which both won, as did KU basketball and Missouri State basketball. He did take Pittsburgh plus 6, which I thought was the safe play. 
but that ended up being a loss. So he went four and one this week. He went five and two in week one, although you went six and one if you listened to me and didn't take his Dallas plus five or whatever the line was there whenever they lost to the Packers. So he's right now sitting at nine and three after two weeks. That's a 750 winning percentage, so you got to stick with the guy at this point. He's making you money. Like I said, he's not paid to do this. He's taking his own money and putting it out on the line. So listen to him until he starts losing. So our Super Bowl 51 matchup is set in Atlanta and New England. We will probably try to do something this week in terms of previewing that game, maybe talk a little bit about the Pro Bowl, what format we should look forward to here in the future, and getting you guys set up for Ekman's Gambling Picks of the Week. Hopefully we'll have a couple of guests to bring in to you, kind of get some uh, extra time into the show. I know we've been cutting it pretty short here lately, but like I said, we don't want to waste a lot of your time right now if you're just starting to listen. Everybody's got a busy life, and once we start to get some people to interview, some good guests on the show, we will be expanding out past 15, 20 minutes. But hopefully for right now, you're getting to enjoy us on part of your day. This has been the Fumbling Punter Show and Podcast. My name is Devin Keeney. You can follow me on Twitter at DevK11, or you can follow the show at the Fumbling Punter. Please check out our site, fumblingpunter.com. Happy Monday, everyone. Thank you.